Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's good to be back. He said Brother McBride's going to come preach the next sermon, and I appreciate that. I was in a meeting somewhere, and it was the last time I was going to be in the meeting. He said, we're going to have Brother McBride come and preach his final message. <laughs> it scared me. I thought he knew something I didn't know. But, uh, and I want to say thank you to the Harris fellas for singing. I love them fellas. I've known them since they were little. Amen. <laughs> the one thing I don't understand is why they never let Caleb sing a solo. And I get after him every time I see him about that. So we're going to, next time maybe they'll do that. And, uh, but I'm glad to be here. I was noticing how sharp Brother Brown looks today. Doesn't he look sharp? Amen. A lot better looking than the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Now I'm tired. Are you tired? And I'm getting old. I'm going to tell you how I know I'm getting old. I got up this morning and I, of course, I'm staying at the preacher's house and I got ready to come here and I, I looked around and my room was not a mess, but there was a, there was a chair there and I had a pair of pants and a shirt hanging over that chair and my suitcase was open and I looked at it and I thought, I ought to close that suitcase and I ought to hang up those clothes uh, because somebody might come in here. And then I thought, no, nobody's coming in here. And then I thought, if I die while I'm out there, somebody will come in to clean up and they'll think I was a slob. And who, who but an old man thinks about dying when he leaves in the morning? <laughs> and then I got out in the hallway and saw those stairs and said, it'll be a good day if I can make it down these stairs without falling. So I'm, I must be getting older. I don't, I'm only 64. I don't know what I, what's going to happen when I'm 70. But uh, I'm going to try and preach to you anyway for a little while. I'm also a little bit envious of our brother that just preached because he has so many voices. <laughs> and I barely have one left. So we'll see what happens. Deuteronomy chapter number 22. Deuteronomy chapter number 22. We have heard mention in a couple, at least a couple sermons today about modesty and about dress. And usually when you turn to Deuteronomy 22, that's where you turn. But I want to go just a little bit further in this chapter. And years ago I was we were traveling and we were, we were not able to stop or not able to get home in time. We were in South Carolina, and of course I live in Indiana. If we are at home or within driving distance of our church and it is a service time, we go to church. Our midweek service is on Thursday. If I preach Sunday through Wednesday and then come home on Thursday, I go to church on Thursday night because that's where you're supposed to be when it's church time. I don't say, well, Lord, I was in church Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I need a break. It's church time. Well, we were too far away to get home. We were in South Carolina, so we stopped in at Tabernacle Baptist Church. Dr. Harold Seitler was preaching. I don't remember everything he said. Honestly, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. 
But in that sermon, in his gravelly voice, he said, when you read your Bible, look for Jesus. You'll find him on every page. And ever since I heard him say that, I've been looking for Jesus in my Bible. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. If you read your Bible and miss Jesus, you've missed what the Bible is all about. So I find him in the most unusual places when I'm looking. And I found him here in Deuteronomy in the 22nd chapter. Look with me in verses 6, 7, and 8. Well, verses 6 and 7 I think we'll deal with. If a bird's nest chanced to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young. The dam is the old English word for the mother. And the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. But thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days." And I'm going to pray and then I want to preach for just a few moments on the gospel in the bird's nest. Father, I pray you'll help us now in these next few moments to exalt the Lord Jesus, to remind ourselves of the simplicity and yet the superiority of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you might help us exalt Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we'll lift you up and you'll be magnified and glorified. And as Lord, as I always say, if you get glory, we'll get helped. Help us now in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. I could use a little water, please, if I could have some. Here in Deuteronomy, chapter number 22, in these two verses, we have a lesson or a command, if you will, or a law about a bird's nest. The rabbis called this law the least of all God's commandments. Our Bible's filled with commandments. It's filled with uh, thou shalt not. It's filled with a lot of do's and don'ts. We've heard about that today. It's part of the word of God. And the rabbis said when you get here and read about this commandment about a bird's nest that it is the least of all the commandments that God gives us. And yet the, if it is the least and I don't necessarily believe that but if it is the least I want you to notice in verse 7 that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days. So if it were the least of all the commandments in the Bible even the least of all the commandments in the Bible has a promise connected with it. That tells me I need to pay attention to every little thing that God tells me in the word of God. Now when I look at this passage I think this thought. Does God take thought for birds? Is God interested in birds? 
words. Let me read you a couple of verses. Matthew chapter six and verse 22. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? I'm glad God thinks more of us than he does the birds. And so if he'll take care of the birds, he'll take care of you and I. I'll tell you this, when I was off last spring for three months, I was at home. Longest I've ever been home in the past, I guess, 20 years. And uh, every morning I'd get up and I would have either eggs, I'd either have bacon, sausage, or ham. I'd have two eggs. I'd have chocolate chip pancakes and maple syrup and chocolate milk for breakfast. I had it every morning for breakfast for three months and lost 30 pounds. I don't know how I did that. I gained it all back when I got on the road. But anyway, uh, we'd sit in the kitchen and I noticed out in the trees there were a lot of birds. And I said to my wife, Sherry, I said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get us a bird feeder. If we're going to spend some time home here and all these birds are around, we ought to get us a bird feeder. We put up a bird feeder. We had every kind of bird you could imagine out there. It was so pleasant to sit there in the morning at the table and look out through those, uh, those windows and see the birds. Uh, and so we fed them. We fed them every day for three months. Then we went back on the road. Guess what? Uh, when we went back home, there's still birds everywhere. We were gone six months away before we came back home. Those birds were still in good shape. You say, preacher, who's feeding them while he's gone? Same one as feeding them before we came on the scene. God takes care of those birds. But let me think about this. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said that verse tells me that God attends the funeral of every sparrow that falls. Two sparrows sold for a farthing. But listen to what Luke says. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Now I've already told you this week, my math is not good. It is not my strong point. But when I put those two verses together, a question comes up in my mind. Because the Bible said two sparrows for one farthing. So if it's two sparrows for one farthing, shouldn't it be four sparrows for two farthings? Wouldn't that be right? But that's not what it says. It says two sparrows for one farthing and five sparrows for two farthings. Apparently... There was an extra sparrow there that wasn't worth anything, so he just got thrown in on the bargain, and God loved him too. You know what I think? That's the way I feel like sometimes. I feel like I'm the extra one that wasn't worth anything, just got thrown in on the bargain, but God loves me too. God takes thought for the sparrows. Now let's look at our text a moment. And I want to show you three things. I want to show you, first of all, in this passage, these two verses, there is a lesson on limited things. Limited things. Look what it said. 
If a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way, in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. He said, now, if you're, you come out there by chance, you're going along and you come across this nest and there are eggs in the nest and the mother bird is on, <clears throat> on sitting on the eggs. He said, don't you dare take the mother bird and the eggs. He said, you can take the mother bird and leave the eggs or you can take the eggs home and eat them, but you got to leave the mother bird. Don't take both of them. Why did he say that? Because God knows the heart of men. And he knows that you and I always go further than what is good for us. He knows the depravity of a man's heart. He knows that a man will come out, he'll look at those, has those eggs and that bird, and he'll say, you know, I can make a good meal out of that. I'll take the mama and I'll take the babies. Now, if he does that, he's being greedy and he's thinking only of the immediate. He's not thinking of tomorrow. How often do we do that? We think only of today and not tomorrow. Because if he takes both the eggs and the mother, there'll be, eggs, there'll be a meal today, but there won't be any meal tomorrow because he's taken it all. In his gluttony, he has taken it all. What he's telling us and remind us is that the reason God must put limits on us is because we don't know how to limit ourselves. We go too far. Not only that, there is the greed that thinks only of the immediate, but there is the greed that thinks only of itself. If I go out and take the mother bird and take the eggs, I'm leaving nothing for anyone else. And that's the way we are. We think of self, a lost man in our natural condition. We think of self only. And we think of immediate gratification and we'll always go further than what is good for us. So what happened with the devil. In heaven, in Isaiah 14, Isaiah said, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou said in thine heart, I'll send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high. Here was Satan exalted in heaven, but he said, it's not enough for me. I want more. I want more. I want to be exalted above the throne of God. And what got him in trouble was he went beyond what was good for him. Same thing, and I won't dwell on these, but the same thing happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. Same thing happened with Lot at Sodom. Same thing happened with Achan at Jericho. Same thing happened with Gehazi and Naaman. Same thing happened with David and Bathsheba. It is the nature of a sinful man, a lost man. It is his nature to want more than what is good for him. So we have a lesson on limited things. I'm reminded of my sister-in-law. My wife has two sisters. When she was young, they've told this story, I don't know how many times when they were young. They, they always, in my wife's family, everybody has a nickname. My father-in-law just went home to be with the Lord. His, he was the youngest in his family. They called him Babe. He had a sister they called Gurley. He had another sister they called Gaga. He had a dad, the dad they called Dodo. I don't know why they called him that, but that was his name. So one day the family had been at Dodo's house and they came home that night and, and uh, 
when they went, they had some supper and when they put the girls to bed, in a little while, Robin, the middle daughter, was crying. And so Nana Pitt, that's my mother-in-law, Nana Pitt came in to see what Robin was crying about. And she said, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. She said, well, is it from supper? And she said, what, and they went over what they had at supper. And then she said, well, did you eat something before supper? She said, pickle. I ate pickle at Dodo's. She said, pickle? How many pickles? A jar. <laughs> and after the jar of pickles, chocolate ice cream. So she had a jar of dill pickles, a whole jar, then ate chocolate ice cream, then came home and had supper. No wonder her stomach was hurting. That's the way mankind is. We want more than what is good for us. And so God must put limits on us. You see, he's telling us that man is a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there's another lesson here. Not only on limited things, there's a lesson on little things. He said, if a bird's chest chance to be in, bird's nest chance to be in for thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days. Now who would think that God would make mention of a bird's nest and how you treated a mother bird or how you treated the eggs. What this verse does, it brings the holiness of God into everyday living. This man leaves his home, but he's not supposed to leave God at the house. He's supposed to take God with him. He's telling us that every little thing that goes on in our life is important to God. There's nothing that God overlooks. There's nowhere we go that is not important to him. There's nothing we think that is not important to him. He is exalted a moment ago. He has exposed the sinfulness of mankind. Now he would expose the holiness of God. God. You say, well, it's a little thing. God doesn't care about it. Looks like he cares about little things. Looks like he cares about everything I do. Looks like he's saying when a man goes out for a walk, if he goes out to hunt, if he goes out to catch birds, if he goes out to the pasture, if he's on the hills or if he's in the valley or if he's walking through the forest, he's not to leave God behind him. He's to take God with him. And God's will and God's love and God's holiness ought to affect everything he does and everywhere he goes and everything he says and everything he hears. And he even everything that he thinks. Paul said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that would exalt itself against God and bringing into captivity every thought under the obedience of Christ. Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. You say, well, God, God doesn't care. God doesn't care if I cheat on my income tax. Oh, yes, he does, friend. He's holy. You say, well, God doesn't care if I stretch the truth a little bit. Oh, yes, he does. He's holy and he's righteous. Well, God doesn't care if I treat somebody in an unchristian manner, if I'm critical and bitter. Oh, yes, he does. 
sacrifice. He's a holy God. He said if you commit, if you offend in one area of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. We are dealing with a holy God. Holiness. First Corinthians, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now you think about that. A man is on a walk in the woods. That's all he's doing. He's walking in the woods. And he comes upon a bird's nest. And a mama's sitting on the eggs. He's to think the holiness of God. You listen now? You know what the problem with the wicked is? The Bible said the wicked, the Bible said God is not in all their thoughts. But that not, ought not be the way it is with the righteous. He ought to be in all our thoughts. Everything about us. Little things. James said, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Uh, in Revelation 20, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The psalmist said in Psalm 130, O Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? What was he saying? He's saying, God, if you have a record of all my iniquity of all my sin there just ain't no hope for me and that's the truth friend you say well preacher I'm not that bad yeah you're that bad and there's wickedness if you're a sinner lost without God God has a record of it all it'll be opened up and read out of a book one day according to Revelation but there's another lesson here there's a lesson on limited things there's a lesson on little things, but thank God there is also a lesson on loving things. Now, here's what I'm wondering. I'm out for a walk one day, and I come across a nest full of eggs and a mama. Now, I'm just out for a walk, because he said, if you chance, I wasn't looking for them. So I don't have a rifle, or in that day, I don't have a net. I don't have a bow and arrow. I come upon them by chance. God said, don't take that mother bird. Now, here's my question. You ever tried to catch a bird? You ever tried to lay hands on one? How are you even going to catch a bird? This man's just done it by chance. He's not prepared. He's barehanded. How in the world is he even going to catch a bird? There's only one reason he can catch that bird. Because that mama would sacrifice herself for those eggs. I was preaching for Brother Billy Goolsby and I was walking out behind the Rome Baptist Temple. They'd had a place out there where they had taken dirt to help do something around that building. And so it was just some scrub brush and things like that. And I'm walking out. I went out there to pray. And I'm just walking along and praying. And I hear this screech. And I've always called them kildees where I grew up. 
Some people call them kill deer. I don't know what the correct term is, but we always call them killdees. And, and so I'm walking along and I hear this screech and I look down and here's this, here's this killdee and she's running and she's kind of flopping one wing and she's sort of running in a, almost a circle like she's hurt, like she's wounded. But I didn't go after her because I knew what was going on. I just kept on walking and in a few yards, there it was. There was the nest. You know what she was doing? She's trying to lead me away from them babies. She was putting herself at risk so those babies could live. My pastor, my pastor up in Indiana, we live in a place called Bean Blossom, Indiana, but my pastor was raised in Choctaw County, Mississippi. If you ever come to Bean Blossom, Indiana, to the Bean Blossom Baptist Church, when you turn down Bean Blossom Spearsville Road and come around that curve to the Bean Blossom Baptist Church and pull in the driveway and go past the Bean Blossom Baptist Church back to where the parsonage is, you will have gone from Indiana to Choctaw County, the recreation of Choctaw County, Mississippi. That's what my pastor's trying to do. He's got, he's got rabbit dogs. He's got coon dogs. He's got donkeys. He's got horses. He's got ducks. He's got chickens. He's trying to, I've figured it out. I always wondered about it. He's trying to recreate Choctaw County, Mississippi. But when you, when you go back there, now I forgot what I was going to tell you. Oh, yeah, I remember. He said one day, he, said, he told me yesterday, I called him. I said, what you been doing? He said, I brought in a sack of eggs. I said, a sack? He said, I got three dozen eggs. I said, I'm coming home tomorrow for some of them good farm-raised uh, eggs. But anyway, he said one day he was sitting in the kitchen, and he heard this racket outside, and he, and he went over to the window, and he looked outside, and there was a mother hen there, and that mother hen had taken all of her little chicks and herded them up under a bush, and she was standing out in the open. He said she was making an awful racket and running around and making noise and he said I looked up in the sky and there's a chicken hawk up in the sky and what that mama was doing was risking her lives so those chicks so the little chicks would not get caught by that chicken hawk. I read some time ago about a fella in Kansas there'd been a big prairie fire that had gone through those plains and burned everything up and him and his buddy were walking along and they were just kind of surveying the damage and they came to this little blackened charred carcass and he looked at it and uh, as he leaned over he thought he heard something and he stuck his toe under the carcass of that mother hen and flipped her over and when he flipped that burned and dead carcass over three little chicks came running out from under there she had put her body over them and, uh, and, and taken the fire so that hallelujah so that they could go free what she had done was she had suffered the judgment so that they do you remember what Jesus said he said oh Jerusalem Jerusalem how oft would I have gathered thee under my wings as a mother hen gathereth her chickens and you would not. You say, preacher, where do you see Jesus? I tell you where I see him. I see him in that mama bird who is willing to give herself up because she loves them little birds. She loves them eggs. That's what happened with me even though I was a lost sinner and it violated the law of God. Jesus loved me and took my place on the cross of Calvary and suffered the judgment of God so that I could live. And that's what he did for you. He didn't do that just for me. He did that for you. Preacher, why did Jesus die? Because you're a sinner. And he loved you anyway. He tasted death for every man. 
Paul said, he, talking about God, hath made him, talking about Jesus, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you ever think about those words, those made words in there? He hath made him to be sin. Why did God have to make Jesus sin? Because he had no sin. There's no sin in him. God had to make him sin. And then he said that we might be made. You know why? we had to be made because there was no righteousness in us just like there's no sin in him but when he died on the cross and when I received him as my savior God took all of my sin and put it on Christ's account put all of Christ's righteousness on my account why because he loved me he loved me and he loves you you know what this Bible's full of it's full of the gospel. It's full of Christ loving sinners and giving himself for them on the cross of Calvary. John said, what? Behold, behold. Come here, look. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Paul talked about that great love wherewith he hath loved us but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life I see a lesson on love and when I see that lesson on love I see the supreme example of love the love of God in Christ for sinners he loves us he loves me and he loves you. I know the crowd I'm preaching to, but if you're here and you're not saved, he loves you. He doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done. He loves you. He died for you. And you know what, Christian friend? He died for your neighbor. He loves your neighbor. He loves your boss. He loves your aunt and your uncle. He loves your children and your grandchildren. He loves the people you run with. He loves sinners so much that he gave himself on the cross of Calvary and took their punishment. Now I want you to think about this. If the love of a mother bird is so sacred to God that he tells us not to abuse it. I wonder what he thinks when we abuse the love of his son. Maybe that's why the Hebrew writer said, how we, shall we escape? How shall we escape? If we neglect him, how shall we escape so great a salvation? How, how can we do that? How can we abuse the love of Christ? If you went, you went and got around an old junkyard dog, stuck your hand out and he bit you, you You'd be mad, but you'd expect it. If he's chained up in somebody's yard and you got your hand in there and he bit you, you wouldn't be happy about being bit, but you'd have to say to yourself, well, I should have known that. But if you go out to the dog you fed and pet and loved and he bit your hand, that's a whole different story, isn't it? That's love abused. When you look at the God who blessed you, who gave you life, 
who gave you every good and perfect gift along the way, who watched over you and loved you and gave his son to die on the cross for you and you turn around and neglect the salvation of God. That is wicked. It's wicked. Somebody said, I'm not that bad, preacher. If you spurn the love of Christ, that's as wicked as it gets. It's wicked. And you and I that know he loves us, how much more should we want to serve him and live for him? I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to see Christ everywhere I look. I see him in the bird's nest. I want to see him everywhere I look. I want to be reminded of his love and his care for me. And if you're not, if you're not saved today, why don't you just trust him? He loves you. He loves you like the mother bird loved the little eggs. He loves you. And if you are saved, remember, he loves your neighbor. He loves your friends. And remember, the gospel is not difficult. It may be difficult to humble yourself and, and admit that you're a sinner, but the gospel is not. I love that. I love that. I think I can quote it. When Jesus talked to that woman at the well, do you remember what he said? He said, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that speaketh unto thee, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. I like to put it this way. If you know what you need, and you know the only one that can give it to you, if you'll ask him, he'll give it to you. It's that simple. It's that simple to be saved. Thank God for the love of Christ. Let's stand together a moment, and we'll bow our heads. And if you are not saved today, our brothers already asked us, Brother Wagner, about folks that are not saved. And you may have raised your hand, but you didn't come. But you could come now and bow your knee at an altar. Just come, trust him as your Savior. Come take your place before him as a sinner and believe on him as the Savior. And why, if you're saved, you say, preacher, what about my loved ones? Why don't we just purpose in our heart? We're just going to keep telling them the gospel story. We're just going to keep telling them about the love of Christ and the goodness of God. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Let's tell them how good God is. I thought about these missionaries giving money. I'm glad I can have part in a missionary endeavor that I'll probably never see, never go to. But I had a part in it today in getting the gospel out to lost sinners.